let's go. Uh, so, uh, first of all, welcome back. Uh, this is episode 136 uh, of Together BHA. Uh, this is our first show after the, the season uh, is coming back from pre-season. We've just finished pre-season. Uh, all eyes are on Burnley now, um, and we have a shit ton to get through today. Uh, we have just about everything. Uh, for those of you that are on the video stream, I have a list, uh, a ticker running along the bottom of everything that's going to be coming up. Uh, so we have loads going on here. Uh, you can uh, come see me at Together BHA on YouTube, Together BHA on Twitch, Together BHA on Twitter, Together BHA on Instagram, uh, wherever you want to be. Uh, I am there. Uh, would love to have you all. And uh, let's, let's get started. So first of all, uh, the Euros. Uh, the Euros was uh, a great adventure this summer. Um, I know that as most of you are probably England fans, you had a great time as well. Uh, we, you know, we exceeded all expectations, I think. Uh, and despite some early games looking a little bit poor, uh, the, the team came through and, and we were very, very unfortunate not to win uh, the entire thing, I thought. Um, obviously, a huge amount of... Uh, Things to look forward to, things to look forward to for this England side. We're only, what, uh, a couple of weeks away, a couple of uh, months away from World Cup qualifying. We are not too long away from the 2022 World Cup. Uh, so, you know, all in all, lots to look forward to on that side uh, with with England and the Euros. And, of course, Ben White making his first appearance for England uh, as an Albion player and his last uh but yeah i was very happy to see it all i thought they did really well um not only that uh but first of all uh, patreon subscribers uh so thank you to the patreon subscribers who kept with me all the way through the summer when i was doing nothing at all uh that is very good of you uh too good uh stateside seagulls um tom shelley ezra thompson uh the winner of fantasy premier league last year uh john fitzpatrick nick axford william montgomery sarah ellis daniel lawrence and nick murray thank you very much for for subscribing over the summer uh and i'm sorry that i didn't do anything i just took some time off uh so thank you very much for supporting me uh i'm on twitch and youtube right now hello reop youtube uh good to see you uh we will address some of your comments that you're making right now uh, a little bit further further on in the stream uh but thank you very much for tuning in um let's let's start with uh the the incoming so as i said i've got a little ticker going on on the bottom of the uh the the screen here for the for the twitch stream and the youtube stream um and the agenda is this uh euro 2020 which we've just touched on real quick uh new signings so we're going to be hitting the new signings the outgoings of which there has been lots uh, we're also going to be looking at the Premier League movers and shakers, right? So a lot of this is similar to last season. Uh, we're going to be looking at big money moves in and around the Premier League. Uh, we'll also be planning the points haul. We did that last year as well. We'll be looking at teams in and around us and teams that we should be taking points from. We'll be taking a look at preseason results, uh, what to expect from Potter in 2021 and 2022, uh, players to watch, in my opinion, uh, some possible transfer targets, and then, of course, some fantasy Premier League chat as well. Uh, so, first of all, let's talk about transfers. <laughs> uh, we, we've made three so far. Uh, one first team signing, two 
not so much. Uh, one of them is uh, Jeremy Sarmiento from Benfica. Uh, he is signed as an under-23 prospect. He's only 19. Uh, he was originally from Charlton, but snapped up by Benfica when his contract ran out. Uh, we signed him on an undisclosed slash free from my research. It seems like nobody can decide whether we paid anything or not. Uh, so I'm not sure there either. Uh, if anybody knows differently in the chat, do let me know. Um he refused to sign a new contract in Portugal. He wanted to come home to England. So uh, that was wonderful. Um, he is good to go there. And and Albion were the ones that got him. Uh, they chased him very early on when they realized. Uh, excellent, great scout in the discovery by the Albion, as per usual. Uh, when it comes to these youth prospects, uh, the Albion are obviously very good at knowing and, and earmarking these players, Jakob Moda, Kabovnik and others. Uh, and we've got him on a two-year deal. Uh, if he is to get a longer deal, uh, I would expect to see him in the senior squad by next summer. And I'll tell you why. Uh, he is 19 already. Um, he is not a 17-year-old signing that we can hopefully bring through slowly. Uh, he's a 19-year-old signing that has had sniffing around from other places as well. Uh, so, you know, to me, um, it's a good young Moneyball signing, uh, a young Brit that adds to the homegrown talent, which always helps. Um, and, you know, he's going to help out that under-23 side that are going through a pretty significant transition. Uh, our other signing that was kind of a backup uh, was, well, definitely a backup, uh, is Kiel Sherpen. Uh, undisclosed deal, what's supposed to be around $5 million, I think, from all the reports in Holland. Uh, very much a backup keeper. Uh, very young signing again, though, only 21 uh, presumably we will be saying goodbye to Christian Walton as expected last season uh, and Sherpin might well become the number two quite quickly. Uh, he is getting ahead of myself here on the preseason chat. He has just received uh, an ankle injury, so maybe not so much anytime soon. Uh, in terms of uh, <laughs> deciding, it seems that Potter clearly has a type. Um out with the five foot, five foot ten Matty Ryan and in with the six foot six and six foot seven big Bob Sanchez and Kel Sherpin. Uh, he likes his boys tall in that. Uh, clearly, he thinks that is something that he likes to work with. Uh, so he has gone ahead and brought in Sherpin as well. Uh, he made three appearances for Ajax last season, one in the Europa League and two in the the, the main division, Eredivisie, uh, but was on loan at FC Emmen the year before at 19 in their first ever season in the top flight. So he has had one full season of Eredivisie football. Uh, and according to who scored, had a pretty good season. Uh, he had two man of the match performances, secured safety and conceded 72 goals. Now, for the people listening and watching, that sounds like a lot. Uh, but to give you some perspective, uh, even teams finishing in the Euro spots, uh, so even teams finishing in, in European football spots uh, in the division, um, actually finished with uh, 68 goals conceded uh, in seventh place. So outside of the top four, 60-plus uh, goals conceded a season seems to be the standard. Um, so to me, uh, I, you know, I don't think that's too bad of a, of a season for Sherman. Um, so good for him. Um, now on to the main signing. Uh, of the of the season here. Uh, Enoch Mwepu. I hope I don't murder that poor guy's name because he looks like a fantastic player. Uh, the one big signing so far this season, uh, with the likelihood of him being in or around the first 11 to be very high, uh, especially given what's been going on uh, in preseason. Uh, Stats bombs, smarter scout, etc. All of these, you know, these big analytical websites that 
you know, sell all their research to these clubs and stuff are all massively high on him and his countryman, Dakar, who went to Leicester as a striker. Um, so what do we know? Um, we we know he is nicknamed the computer, which was a wonderful uh, unveiling with that old school PC uh, on the BHFC Twitter line. Uh, it refers to his aforementioned ability to compute what is needed in the multiple positions he finds himself being deployed in. Uh, so his intelligence in tight spaces, the way he can see a pass uh, and makes it long before anybody else can be burst onto you know that area uh, is a reason why. Now, that's all well and good in Austria and for Zambia. It's going to be very interesting to see what that looks like in the Premier League. Is it simply that he's at a Premier League standard already? Or is it that he's actually really is above that? Uh, he first burst onto the scene with his performances in the Zambia side, uh, which, from what I can gather, brought a lot of excitement to the 2017 Under-20 World Cup that was in South Korea. Uh, Zambia qualified by virtue of winning the equivalent Africa Cup of Nations tournament. Uh, as a youth side, and they soon showed that they were not in the main event simply to make up numbers. Uh, Zambia have been a pretty interesting side for the last time to 10 years. I remember them winning the uh, the African Cup of Nations for realsies uh, not too long ago in the last kind of decade. Uh, after winning Group C uh, in that in that under-20 World Cup, uh, they finished ahead of Portugal, Costa Rica, and Iran. Uh, Portugal obviously being a pretty massive name uh, to finish ahead of there. Uh, Zambia pulled off arguably the biggest shock of the tournament by eliminating Germany in the second round. Uh, Mwepu was on target in that win. Uh, they eventually fell to Italy in the quarterfinals, but on a personal level and the main one that we all want to hear about, uh, Enoch Mwepu came away from South Korea with two goals, two assists, and a move to Austria in the bag. Uh, so he got himself a transfer like many of these breakout players do uh, around the world when they perform in a national level. Um, and he started at FC Liefering, uh, the play at the team that we had a friendly with just a couple of years ago, if you remember them, uh, and very quickly got promoted from them to Salzburg. Uh, they are a feeder club for Salzburg. Uh, he went on to win a lot of silverware for, for Salzburg. Uh, over the course of the next three seasons, uh, he became one of the most important players for Salzburg, along with Dakar, uh, as they won their, their equivalent of their Bundesliga uh, and their cup, their FA Cup double. Uh, they won the double in 2018 and 2019, and then 2019, 20 and 2021. Uh, so he's, he's loved to win trophies. Uh, the most recent uh, cup triumph just before um, we we went ahead and got him over to, to the Albion, uh, he scored in the first round, the second round, twice in the semifinal and in the final, uh, where they breezed past their finalist opponents, LASK 3-0. Uh, with four assists in the cup run, uh, he actually did more than anyone else. He was the MVP, uh, as the Americans love to say. He was the player of the tournament uh, to help his side to their eighth triumph in the competition. Uh, he is very, very versatile. Uh, he is an attacking midfielder. He is a central midfielder. He is a holding midfielder. He's a left winger, a right winger, a right back and a centre back. Uh, he has scored 14 goals and claimed nine assists from 37 outings on the right, uh, a return that most genuine wingers, you know, out and out wingers would be incredibly pleased with. Uh, Smarter Scout, which is a great website, uh, they actually compared his numbers to Prime Angel Correa at Atletico Madrid prior to the uh, Simeone bringing him in and kind of going a lot more defensively. 
that's insane numbers. Uh, most recently, um, he, you know, for Salzburg prior to moving, he did get a real taste of Champions League football uh, and was highly impressive there. Uh, no player more, made more successful pressures than Weipu in the elite competition. Uh, he had 166 pressures, of which 53 were successful. Uh, he was pretty much 50% for dribbles completed at the top level, which is massively impressive. Uh, he had four dribbles leading to a shot, 21 shot creating actions, uh, 13 out of 16 tackles won, uh, 13 fouls won. Uh, he's also shown that he can mix pressure in with creativity to good effect, right? Racking up four assists in 11 Champions League career appearances. And this isn't for a super team. This is for Salzburg. Um, Frankly, I have no idea how it snapped him up. In the same way we got a hold of Jakob Moda, uh, who was already starting to burst onto the scene. Uh, I can't believe that we managed to get a hold of him. Uh, Riot YouTube in the comments, uh, the Zambian GOAT, uh, and and he will be in the first 11 100%. Um, and I think that you're probably right. After the preseason, uh, I can't see any reason why we're not going to be seeing him, you know, fully in uh, fully in the side. He's pretty much started every single preseason game. I have seen a lot of people online asking if he is a replacement for Bissouma. Um, and I've been saying no all the way through. Um, and whenever, if you've seen me post like dream formations online and stuff, uh, I've always been putting him as an attacking midfielder. Uh, on the right-hand side. So if we're playing uh, three at the back with wing-backs, uh, that kind of 5 2, two one that we've been playing quite commonly with two behind uh, uh, Mopai or Welbeck or whoever with Trossard and Lalana um, over there, I suspect we may see something similar. And we did see something similar against Getafe. Uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of players uh, playing in positions we're not expecting. But when you have that kind of... Uh, output as prime Angel Gurria, uh, I think it's only natural for us to play him a little bit further forward. Um, so I think we are going to be very happy with his output. Um, and he may be just what uh, we need. Um, you know, I think that what we needed was more attacking outlets. Trossard has been tasked, especially last year, to be that prime person alone uh so to partner him up with someone as talented as mopu may well be the perfect maneuver um Riot youtube in the comments says that there's no way uh this will go and and i'm primed to believe you at this point uh, i i don't see him going anywhere uh we do have uh, a couple of outgoings uh for the first team um some of them bigger than others uh but let's talk about the outgoings, shall we um, let's talk about David Proper. Uh, he's headed out to uh, PSV Eindhoven, undisclosed fee. Uh, from what I can gather, it was just a couple of million, but a good deal to get him off the books. Uh, just never really made it in a proper in a proper side, in a Potter side. Proper didn't make it. Uh, Andrew Crofts, his contract expired, uh, and he's now moved on to uh, coaching. Um, the main kind of level with uh, with under 23s. He's now the kind of head coach there. So that was a, a kind of logical and, and nice move for Andrew Costs Crofty to move on. Uh, he's been on the podcast before. Great guy. Uh, Jose Izquierdo, much to my sadness and devastation, has left. Uh, he has now had his contract expired and will be going elsewhere. Uh, as of right now, I've not seen him sign for any other team. Uh, but if anybody who's watching this or listens to this podcast on Monday can tell me that he's already moved somewhere, please do let me know. Teddy Jenks, 
very intriguing defensive player, has moved to Aberdeen on loan. Uh, Alex Cochran uh, has gone to Hearts on loan. He was at USG last year. Uh, He's now gone to to Hearts on loan, so that's a good move for him. Uh, Ryan Longman, a striker that has gone through the divisions with us, uh, he's gone to Hull on loan, so that's good news for him. Uh, I like the loan moves for the young players, and that's a high quality of football, Aberdeen, Hearts and Hull. Uh, and then uh, Victor Giacaris finally left the club after many, many a year. Uh, he has finally gone uh, to Coventry on an undisclosed fee. Matty Ryan uh, has confirmed his move to Real Sociedad for an undisclosed fee. Carl uh, Rushworth, one of those young goalkeepers that has been coming along with a heck of a reputation, has gone to Walsall on loan. Uh, another one to keep an eye on in the lower leagues there. Uh, Jan McClaw uh, has gone to Hadjuk Split uh, for an undisclosed fee. Never made it. Uh, didn't really impress with QPR when he was unknown there either. Uh, so that's kind of sad. Uh, but at the same time, he wasn't really doing a great deal. Ali Reza Jahan Baksh has left the club as well. Finally, uh, that is one that has been kind of conversed about for weeks and days and months and years. Uh, he has now finally kind of given up on making it as a Premier League player and he has gone back to Holland. Uh, so he is out of here. We have a couple of others as well. Uh, Danny Cashman, uh, re-op YouTube uh, in the comments says he's he's headed out. Yeah, we released him last year. He has just signed for commentary and promptly gone straight on loan to, to Rochdale. Uh, so best of luck to him. Um, we also have let go of Ben White. Obviously, the big one. Uh, the, the, obviously, right, the, the massive uh, sign-in that we've we've kind of had outgoing. Uh, massive because he is the, uh, the you know, the, the biggest uh, fee we've ever received for a player in our history. Uh, the price of football, Kieran Maguire, uh, top man, obviously, uh, has let us know that actually um, we have let him go. Uh, and the £50 million fee is more than every transfer fee we've ever received before combined. That is how big uh, it was for us. You know, £50 million in the bank, like he said, like, like we're seeing in the comments, £50 million in the bank. Add-ons as well. Not to forget, there are rumoured to be add-ons as well, uh, as well as... Uh, a sell-on percentage as well. Um, unbelievable sale. You know what I mean? Like, will we miss him? Of course we will. Uh, you know, he's received an England call-up. He's a good player. He's obviously, you know, he's done everything he can at this club. He's gone all the way up the divisions in that kind of developmental system we have. Uh, and he's a quality player. But do we have backup already set? Absolutely. Joel Veltman, Dan Byrne, who's now injured, but Joel Veltman, Ostergaard, who's sticking around the club. Shane Duffy may well be making a comeback, which is bizarre. Uh, you know, we have a lot of very young, very talented players that are ready to make the step up if we need to. Uh, the The key point here is really just reinvesting that Ben White money smartly. Um I think he's going to do really well for Arsenal. You know, I, I no hard feelings. I mean, we didn't, we barely seen it, right? For a lot of fans in the UK, you never even got to see him play live uh, unless you managed to get tickets to to the one or two games that they had last year. I think we had Man City and there was another one at Christmas. Was it Chelsea or Tottenham or someone like that? I'm sure there was a year, uh, there was one game around Christmas where they opened up for one game and then we got locked back out as well. Um, so excellent stuff for Ben White. I wish him all the best. Uh, no hard feelings and an early fantasy Premier League conversation 
Ben White is a superb investment uh, for for 4.5 million on that game. You've got to imagine he's going to be starting week after week uh, for that team. And you've got to imagine that 5.5 million, uh, 4.5 million in the bank, easy center half, set and forget for me. Arsenal, sure, go for it. Percy Tau. Uh, Tau is also going out uh, supposedly on loan, maybe, to Al Ali. Uh, but we don't know 100%. Um, the the one thing is is it's definitely something that's in the in the chat right uh, because we are we Potter pretty much all but confirmed it um, yesterday that there are talks ongoing uh, so you know for me fine like he never really made it either uh, it's sad uh, but it is what it is uh, he never really seemed to have I don't know it to work out in the Premier League. Uh, so it is what it is. Um, good luck to him. I hope he does really well. I'll always have a soft spot for him. Uh, but he just didn't make it. And without being too rude, uh, I'm not going to be sad at the South African contingent of super angry fans leaving our social media because they are just an absolute pain in the ass. So uh, if it means getting rid of him, it looks like we're going to we're going to turn a small profit on him as well. Uh, with a loan to buy, if that's what goes through, uh, I am here for it. Frankly, uh, that's fine by me. So uh, next one, uh, the Premier League movers and shakers. Uh, let's take a look at the the signings we have we've seen go on uh, all around the place because uh, we have had a lot of moves uh, going around this season. You would think that the the European Super League, right, and everything coming through, and everyone saying like, oh. Like that's, you know, they obviously don't have the money to spend. If they're wanting this European Super League, they must be really struggling. Bollocks. They have loads of money. They're spending it like absolute crazy. Uh, they are not messing around at all. Um, we have seen some massive moves already this season. Uh, you know, we've seen the big clubs all signing big boys. Uh, we've seen uh, Arsenal have signed Lakonga, uh, which is a central midfielder from uh, Anderlecht, I believe. Uh, reason why I consider this a big mover and shaker for the Albion uh, is because this is a very Bissouma style midfielder. Uh, Arsenal were a player, a, a player, a team looking at the player. Uh, it was pretty open whether it was just agent talk or whether it was more. Bissouma were of interest to Arsenal. Uh, they have now gone ahead and signed Lakonga instead, who is very much a Basuma type player. Uh, whether that's whether he's going to reach the heights of Basuma or not is seen, you know, to be seen. Personally, I don't think many will. Uh, but that's a big signing for us. It means that there's one less team looking at him. Uh, Aston Villa, Aston Villa have been on an absolute freaking madness. Uh, for the last couple of weeks. They have gone absolutely nuts. Uh, they signed Buendia uh, just a couple of weeks ago, which was obviously a huge uh, signing at the time, 30-odd million uh, in the bank. They've gone ahead and got him in. Uh, they went ahead and, you know, pretty much just absolutely ruined Norwich from the outset because that was Norwich's best player and they took him away. So we'll be looking at that when it comes to relegation. Uh, they've also gone ahead in the last couple of weeks and just gone mental. Uh, Ashley Young from Inter Milan on a free. He had kind of revitalized his career at Inter. He's going to be a backup option, I suspect, for Villa. Uh, Leon Bailey from Bayer Leverkusen, very talented wide midfielder. Uh, the Jamaican fella is very good at what he does. Superb signing. Uh, and Danny Ings, out of nowhere, just this week, they've gone ahead and got a hold of Danny Ings from Southampton for an undisclosed fee. Uh, 
absolute mental. Like, where the hell did that come from? Um, Palace. Uh, Palace has signed uh, a couple of different players. Um, but the ones that really stand out to me uh, is uh, Michael Elise from Reading. Uh, very, very good player uh, from what I can gather. Uh, and I suspect that's going to be a really inspiring kind of bring through for him. He could end up being a really good addition. Uh, Leeds, Leeds have made a couple of good signings in the summer. Uh, Jack Harrison, they finalised the Jack Harrison uh, signing for an undisclosed fee, which was a superb bit of move. Uh, they signed Junior Furpo from Barcelona. Uh, they paid thirteen million for him. I'll be honest, don't know anything about him. Uh, but if you're signing someone from Barca for thirteen, fifteen million, uh, so it may well end up being a good signing for them as well. Leicester have reinforced incredibly well uh patson dacker ryan bertrand on a free uh, and sumer from leo uh from what i can gather are all very talented players uh dacker has already started to bang in goals in preseason. not that it means much to me but some excellent signings for leicester city there uh manchester united blowing money out all over the place you know absolutely wasting money on Jaden sancho 73 million and i say wasting money uh because i just don't think that a player of Sancho, I just don't think he's worth it for uh, Manchester United. And the reason why is I don't think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is good enough. Um, if he was playing for somebody else in a different system, a Pep, uh, a Klopp, I think he would go on to be one of, if not the player of the season. Uh, Jaden Sancho being signed for all that money at United worries me uh, simply because he is an England player and I want them to do well, but I don't rate Solskjaer whatsoever. Um, so, eh, not great. Uh, Grealish, to City is another massive signing. Over a hundred million pounds in the bank for Villa. There, uh, they're still making like a hundred eighty million pound loss, loss because of the amount of money they're spending. Uh, but Jack Grealish has gone to City. Very intriguing to see how that works out for him. Um, I wish him all the best. I, you know, I'm a Jack Grealish fan, except for when he plays against us. Uh, because he's just an absolute shit house. Uh, he's similar to Mopai, right, or Knockup. You you hate them if they're not playing for you. Uh, but when he plays for England, you love him, right? Because he's going to cause a lot of problems for everybody else. So that to me was a was you know a great move for him. It's going to allow him to continue to grow. Um, and with the World Cup coming up, there's no way in my mind that he's he's desperate to get there and get some proper you know look in as well. Um, Elsewhere, uh, we've had a couple of extra signings coming in and out that may well be relevant to us. Uh, Danny Ying's losing uh, Saints. You know, Saints lose. Danny Ying's is a big one. Uh, Saints went ahead and signed Livramento, who was supposedly uh, an Albion prospect that we were going for from Chelsea. Uh, we were not willing to sign the uh, buyback clause option. Uh, so we went ahead and dropped out of that. So to me... It depends on how you feel, right? I think we desperately need a right wing back as backup. Uh, I don't think Pascal Gross is a right wing back. I definitely don't think that uh, Joel Veltman should continue to be exercised as a right wing back when we've just lost Ben White. Uh, we could do with a right wing back to replace slash, you know, cover for Lamptey. Uh, and Livramento seemed like a perfect option, uh, but we lost out. So uh, if, you, if you're if you kind of happy with the idea of not spending, uh, letting a buyback clause come in, that's fine. Uh, but at the same time, you know, would you rather have a player that you may lose for 15 million pound profit in a couple of years time? Or would you rather simply just not have a right wing back at all? Because uh, as of right now, we don't have a right wing back at all. So it's a tough one for the Albion. Um, 
Burnley have been very, very, very quiet. Uh, Brentford, very, very quiet. Uh, you know, a lot of these teams around us haven't done a huge amount of business this summer. Uh, I feel, although I feel like uh, Burnley never do a huge amount of business. Uh, Crystal Palace, again, only a couple of players in. Uh, Everton brought in Damari Gray for £1.6 million from Leverkusen, which I thought was a great signing. Uh, kind of sad that we weren't in for that. I think that would have been a good move for us. Uh, but in terms of notable exits for us uh so there's also a lot of people that you know a lot of teams that are going to be in and around us this season that we need to keep an eye on so in terms of notable exits for us players that are leaving clubs that are going to help us uh half of palace's squad are gone so that's good like bye-bye uh uh, a striker I pinpointed in a prior podcast Taiwo Awanee has left Liverpool for Union Berlin um keep an eye on him uh, he was a player I thought looked very good uh, and could well do a job for us, but he has left for Union Berlin, uh, who are, I think, pretty much off the back of their best season ever in the Bundesliga. So keep an eye uh, on that young prospect striker there as well. Uh, Sergio Aguero, he absolutely loves to score against the Albion. He's gone from City. Whether he's even going to be allowed to play for uh, for Barcelona is to be seen. Uh, with the mess that's going on there. Uh, Christian Atsu, he's usually crap for Newcastle. And for people going, what the hell is that? How is that a notable exit? It seems that Christian Atsu only would turn up once a year for Newcastle. And it was always to have a great game against us. And he's gone. So bye-bye. Buendia has gone from Norwich. He's their best player. Uh, I'm on on for the opinion. I genuinely think Norwich may well be a weaker team than they were two years ago. Uh, Ings being gone from Saints is huge. Uh, they are a team that, to me, you know, you've got to think are in a bit of trouble as well down there at the bottom. Um, and, you know, uh, you can't simply replace uh, a, a player like that. Watford, uh, you know, they've not really made any signings either. They've made a bunch of them, but nothing that really stands out. Uh, they look kind of just like championship signings. Uh, Josh King being the only one, the only exception where we may well see some performances out of him, uh, but they've got to try and keep keep him keep him fit. Um, so good luck to them on that one. Uh, next up uh, on the list of topics we have here is splitting the table. Uh, so where is the points haul coming from? So planning the points haul, this is a big one. And last year I did the same. And what we're going to do is we we split the the table into a set of groups. Um, and it went really well last year, and I thought I would do it again. The crux of this split is to understand where 38 points come from for safety. So I have four sections for the teams this year. The top six, the best of the rest, the wild cards, and the relegation candidates over the season, we should look to get the following from these teams to stay up on roughly 38 points. So before there was five sections, there was a top two, and then there was a bot next four. We don't have that anymore. We have a full top six. We have seen a big closing of the gap up top. Uh, Liverpool are not the juggernaut they were two years ago. Uh, United, Leicester, Spurs, they've all made some great signings. Chelsea as well. Uh, so for me, 
uh, the top six, we all, we should be looking to take one point from each of these six teams. Manchester City, Liverpool, Manchester United, Leicester, Spurs and Chelsea. If we can take one point off of each of them, we're well on our way in terms of getting that points total of 38 if we need it for safety. Uh, obviously, I'm hoping that we'll earn a lot more points than this and we'll be well on our way to safety without having to worry about a 38-point target. But to be honest, let's just go through with the list that we've got. We have a list called Best of the Rest, uh, and we only have two teams in this one, and that is Everton and Arsenal. Never in any danger of going down, in my opinion, especially not this year. Uh, but for me, uh, we want to take 1.5 from each of these. So an average of three points from these two teams. Uh, the thing is with Everton is that, and I don't know how careful I've got to be here because I, I don't really understand uh, what's going on with the Gilfie Sigurdsson thing. Uh, but with the Gilfie problem, and Fabian Delph is currently all over social media posting anti-vaccination conspiracies. You have to wonder just how cohesive Everton are going to be this season. Um, and that matters a lot for the Albion uh, because Everton have already had one season where they flirted with relegation with Marco Silva and they managed to get themselves out of trouble. So... Although I have them on the best of the rest uh, as a team that, you know, aren't going to be in relegation danger. This is a list I made two weeks ago before the Sigurdsson thing uh, and the Dell thing came out. So maybe they even should be considered a wild card uh, because new manager, Rafa, obviously a great manager in himself, but uh, Rafa in Sigurdsson with the problem he's had, Delph with the problem he's had. It's one of those each. I don't know what's going to happen with them. Um, so keep an eye on Everton this season. They could be one of those shock uh, relegation candidates. Wild cards. Uh, so we want to take two and a half points from each of these teams. Uh, if we take two and a half points from each of these teams, that's 10 points in the bag from this group. Uh, and we are looking very healthy there as well. Those wild cards are Aston Villa. Um, yes, they've spent a ton of money, uh, but they have just lost their talisman in Jack Grealish. So you can spend all the money in the world uh, and not replace a player that good. Uh, Tottenham, great example. They sold Gareth Bale uh, and the Magnificent Seven did jack shit. Uh, they signed all those seven players uh, and they've all since left. So uh, Villa are in that wildcard list for me for that exact reason. Uh, we also have West Ham United in that wildcard category. Um, we don't know what they're going to be doing, right? They're a team that one year can be in that top seven, top eight, and then the next year they can be down in amongst the relegation mix. So uh, it's tough to call. Uh, Moyes has done a great job both re kind of rehabbing himself and everyone else, uh, but it's just really tough to know what's 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 going to come from West Ham year after year. Uh, so we shall find out there for better or worse. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, they've lost their manager. They've lost a couple of their key players, but they've also got a couple of key players coming back, like Raul, Raul Jimenez. Jimenez. Uh, but they've lost Rui Patricio. They've lost Nuno. Um, you just don't know what that's going to... You don't know what team is going to come out for Wolves again. They were they were a strange team last year, even under Nuno, uh, and they are, I think, going to be a very strange team this year as well. 
Um, and then Leeds, uh, the final of the wild cards. I know a lot of Leeds fans will be upset with that because they expect themselves to be finishing top four. Uh, but the reality is, is nobody knows what second season syndrome is going to do to Leeds. Uh, Bielsa, obviously a superb manager, world-class manager even. Um, but can he continue to produce the magic he, he has been with this Leeds side? They haven't made a huge amount of investment this summer like they did last year. Uh, they haven't made that many changes to their side. Um, will this lead side be able to keep that momentum going and finish kind of top 10 this year? Or are they going to be hitting a Premier League brick wall and, and, and go further down the table? It's it's impossible to tell. Uh, they're they're, they're going to be one of those second season teams that you have to keep an eye on. And then the final list is the relegation candidates. So for me... Uh, including ourselves uh there are three teams from this list that are going down uh saints they've just lost danny ings uh they as of right now haven't reinvested it obviously because it's only a couple of days ago uh but danny ings is gone it's a huge loss for saints uh, uh they're going to be in and around that bottom six uh norwich uh, again they've made a couple of signings they've done all right but there's nothing there that makes me think that they're stronger than they were two years ago. Uh, they've lost their best player in Buendia. Uh, they've signed, made a couple of signings, Billy Gilmore on loan and a couple of others that may be okay, but we don't know. Um, uh, nothing tells me that they're going to be a better team this time around than they were two years ago. So for me, relegation candidates. Brentford have to be. <laughs> There's nothing else to be said about Brentford. Uh, they are massive underdogs to stay up this year. Um, you know, Brentford were not the are not the best side in the world. They're, they've got a great cohesive group of players. Uh, Ivan Tony is going to be very interesting to see how he does in the top flight. Uh, and a couple of other players, it's just going to be interesting to see how they all do. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind or anyone else's that Brentford have to be in and amongst the relegation conversation. Watford as well, low-hanging fruit. I know three relegation candidates from the three promoted teams, but Watford, again, they, they don't particularly look any stronger than they did when they went down. Um, yes, Ismail Azar has had an extra year and a half of English football. Other than that, not much else. Uh, Josh King is a great player if they can keep him fit. They've got a new manager that's not played in the Premier League before or managed in the Premier League before. Um, it's so tough to know, isn't it? Like, I don't know. Uh, Watford are going to be down in and around it, I would guess. Newcastle. Uh, as somebody else said uh, in the... In the comments, re-up YouTube, uh, Newcastle have made zero signings this season. So if you think it's bad, as an Albion fan, to have £50 million in the bank and not signing anybody, uh, Newcastle have signed no one at all. Uh, they are on zero. Uh, they have made no inward moves uh, all summer long. And Callum Wilson is injury-prone. St. Maximan is injury-prone. They are definitely going to be in and around the conversation for going down. And the final one uh, is Palace. Um, you've got to consider them a, a relegation candidate now. Uh, they have just lost, uh, you know, half their starting 11. Uh, Patrick Vieira has came in as manager. Uh, I was a massive fan of Patrick Vieira as a player, but as a manager, he's done nothing to impress me whatsoever. So good news for us Albion fans. Uh, I think he's going to flop uh, and Palace are going to be in deep shit. Um I don't see a way that they're not going to be in and amongst the mix. Uh, they made a couple of good signings, but pff, that can only take you so far when you have a bad manager, in my opinion. So if you get three points from each of those, uh, you are well on your way as well. 
And at the end of the day, you should reach around that 38-point mark uh, if you can take those points from those teams. For me, my bottom three prediction uh, is Norwich, Brentford, and one of those Saints, Watford, Newcastle, uh, Palace, and us. Uh, I do think we will be in and around the relegation mix, and I'll tell you why uh, shortly. Next up uh, is pre-season. So uh, if you know anything about me in the podcast, I don't put a lot of stock in pre-season. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, I, I don't think it means anything compared to what other people do. Uh, I really don't. I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, I think that we're, you know, it's just not, it doesn't, it doesn't show what we're going to be doing in this division this year in preseason. One of the best preseasons in my memory was under Sammy Huppia. And look how that ended up. One of our worst preseasons in memory was the year we got promoted in pre, uh, uh, from the from League One to the Championship under Gus, and it was one of our best performances ever. So, to me, uh, preseason is not something I, I have a huge uh, a huge amount of time for, uh, but we do want to cover it uh, simply because it does give us an idea of what that starting eleven looks like. Um, so. We've had a few behind closed doors friendly friendlies, um, which were, you know, hit and miss. Uh, from what I could gather, we lost most of them uh, to teams that are in the lower divisions. We played a lot of under 23s uh, and there wasn't a huge amount of, you know, worry going on there. Um, Rangers, Luton and Getafe were the three uh, major teams that we kind of played as official friendlies. Um Rangers, uh, we played two different 11s, uh, very much a run out. It was heartening to see Basuma playing. Uh, Kadra looked impressive. Ostergaard looked impressive. Uh, unfortunately, the front men were pretty poor, uh, but it was very clearly a fitness friendly and not a tactical one uh, that I expected to see against Getafe. Um, I expected Luton to be very much the same in terms of more of a fitness based friendly. Uh, and we were right. Uh, we played a slightly stronger team, uh, but we did make an awful lot of substitutions. Uh, we played really well from what I could gather, uh, much more superior in attack, which was great to see. Uh, dangerously error prone at the back, though. Um, Duffy looked rough. Ostergaard looked very good when he came on. Uh, I really do hope to see Ostergaard get a shot with us this year. Uh, we had goals from Weipu, Connolly, and Tao. Uh, funnily enough, Tao is buggering off, so that was a waste of time. Uh, and as predicted uh, in the Luton game and the Getafe game, uh, Mwepu played more of an attacking central midfielder role, uh, primarily on the right-hand side, not a Besuma replacement, as many thought. Uh, I'm telling you, he's going to be an attacking midfielder, and he's going to do really well. Burn went off injured. Sherpin looked hurt. Uh, and... Ironically, uh, our centre-half options looked a little light at the end of this game. Uh, but thankfully for us, come Getafe, uh, we had Lewis Dunk and Adam Webster back fit and raring to go. So that's two of our three central defenders back and good to go. Veltman is still fit, so we're good there. Uh, this one was much more of our kind of tactical run out uh, of how to break down teams that are bigger, stronger, fitter. Getafe had already played six preseason friendlies uh prior to this so they were very much 
a level ahead of us in terms of preparation. Um, and it showed. Um, and sadly, the Albion weren't up to it. We got beat 2-0. Uh, we played a lot of good kind of link-up play uh, from what I can gather from the people that were there, especially, and from what I could gather on the commentary. We played a lot of good, pretty football when we had the ball. Uh, we dominated possession at times. Uh, we missed a hatful of chances, uh, a couple of good saves and a keeper, um, and then conceded two set pieces. Um, so... Again, I don't really put too much stock in preseason. Uh, it is what it is. Like I said, I've seen some good ones where we've had shit seasons and some terrible ones where we've won promotion. So for me, not too worried about it. I am slightly concerned about the fact that what we watched against Getafe is exactly what we watched all year last year with nobody scoring goals and us conceding at set pieces. Uh, so that was not great. In terms of... Preseason. Other than that, we didn't really have much to touch on. Uh, again, I hope to see Ostergaard doing well. I hope to see him get a chance. Um, and again, Taylor Richards is an interesting one as well. I would like to see him maybe get a shot. Next up on this lengthy season preview, what to expect from the season Albion-centric? So what can we expect to see from this Albion side? We are going to go to a short break so I can have a drink. Uh, and sort my life out, and then we will be back to take a look at what to expect from the Albion. Uh, we have what to expect from the Albion in terms of formations, players to watch, players that may suffer, transfer targets, predictions for the season, uh, a Burnley preview, um, and then Fantasy Premier League as well. So that is what's coming up after the break. So I will be back shortly. All right, people, we are back. Let's get this show on the road. So uh, we have got some extra stuff to go over. First of all, uh, we are looking at we're about halfway through uh, what we've got going on on the on the podcast today. So let's get started with what to expect from the Albion uh, formation wise, what to expect from Potter uh, this year. Um, he has a lot to go on. So what to expect from Potter uh, in 2021, 2022? Uh First of all, last season uh, we played we played thirteen different formations uh, according to who scored. Uh, seven of them with three centre backs, six of them four at the back. The majority with three at the back, which is clearly Potter's preference, with a three-four-two-one style formation being his most often played. Looking at this information is why I considered. Mwepu is going to end up playing as one of the the two in the three four two one. If we play that again, uh, I suspect Mwepu will play in that two alongside Trossard. Uh, looking at the signings we've made and seem to be looking to sign if they ever go through, uh, it appears to me like we will continue in that vein exactly. Uh, for me, I think we need to be expecting a, a three centre back formation with Veltman and Ostergaard battling it out for the Ben White spot. Webster and Dunker obviously nailed. They're not going anywhere. Uh, but I would expect Veltman and Ostergaard to be the players battling it out for that final spot. Wingbacks are clearly hugely important to, to Potter. After two seasons, we've seen this over and over. Uh, if we do go ahead, we tried to sign Liv Romento. It didn't go through. Uh, if we do go ahead and sign Cucurella, which now seems 
very much on the fence. Uh, their manager came out yesterday and says he believes he will stay with them. He does have a release clause, so if Albion activate it, it doesn't matter what they do. Uh, but, of course, they can come in and, and offer him a new contract too, right? They're capable of doing that. So Cucurella, uh, a couple of weeks ago, looked nailed on to be signing for us. At this point, it looks very 50-50. Um, but if we were to sign him, uh, we would have a very exciting duo of wingbacks on the on the left uh, with Solly March and Cucurella out there to go after it. Uh, again, as I said, Moipu is not the Bissouma replacement. He's going to be playing as the one of the two behind and alongside the striker. Um, I would expect if Potter was able to pick uh, a fully fit squad uh, from the 11, I feel like it would look a little bit like this. I think we have Sanchez in goal. I think we'll have Webster, Duncan, Veltman at the back. I think we'll have March and like March or Cucurella on the left. We'll have Lamptey on the right, Bissouma in the middle, Lalana in the middle, Trossard, Weipu, and Mopai as our main formation. That's generally genuinely what I think it would be if they could do it. Obviously, Lamptey is hurt, and who knows when he'll be back. Uh, it sometimes feels like if ever he'll be back. Uh, he's... Just taking setback after setback. Uh, it just makes me wonder, you know, just how bad it is. Uh, and, you know, they're now saying it will be October at best. He went back into training, had a setback and, and never came back. So uh, it, it really sucks. Um, it's, yeah. In terms of the, the players to watch this season, um, there are a number of them. And for me, I think we have some really exciting fights to go on. Uh, Enoch Mopu, uh, we've already gone over why. Uh, I genuinely, from preseason and from his prior performances, I genuinely expect him to set us alight with chances. Uh, I think he's going to contribute goals from midfield, which are desperately needed. Uh, I think he's going to be a great signing. I really do. I think he's going to be really good for us and one to watch. Neil Mopai. Now, here's the, if you're listening to this or watching this and rolling your eyes, hear me out, right? Neil Mopai is going to be a player to watch this season. And I'm of the opinion, personally, that the XG curse cannot possibly strike twice for this lad. He scored double figures his first season and he was shocking last year. And his XG was the second worst in the league compared to goals scored. Only Tino Werner was worse. It can't happen again, surely. If we do not sign another striker, here's my bold prediction. If we do not sign another striker, which I wholeheartedly believe we should, I still think Mopai is going to score 12 goals this season. I genuinely think it. I don't think he can be as unlucky as he was last season again this season. I think it's going to, I just think he's going to have to get something. And that's a player to watch for me. And then the other one uh, is Bissouma. Need I elaborate? <laughs> uh, when we signed him, uh, I said that we would sell him for upwards of $60 million. Um, I remember saying it on one of the early podcasts. I said that he's a hell of a sign-in, and I think we are going to see him be sold from us for upwards of $60 million. For me, this season is going to cement that price tag. We've already been talking $45, $50 million for him. This season brings him above that $60 million. I think next year we're going to sell him with for so much money. It's unbelievable. Uh, Alex, note in the chat, uh, putting out the the idea that maybe no crowds affected Neil. 
uh, will be interesting to see what he is like with crowds back. I, I would agree with that. Uh, from what I can gather, he successfully pissed off the entire Getafe squad in 20 minutes of being on the pitch yesterday with 7,000 fans behind him. He is that kind of player. Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see you being absolutely correct that he is a player that ex- excels uh, with a crowd behind him. It's going to be interesting to see on the other side of things uh, as another players to watch this season is the wingbacks in general, especially if we do go ahead and sign Cucurella. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Sorry, I almost choked on my own spit. <coughs> I'll tell you why. Uh, Solly March is a player that has been bandied around by a lot of people as a player that benefited greatly from the lockdowns. Uh, He was supposedly a player that really benefited uh, from not having fans getting on his back. And I agree with them. I agree with those people. I, I, I put it on this podcast. I said, I thought that they were right. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when A, fans are all back. B, he's now got some genuinely competitive competition in Cucurella if we sign him. Um, and how he can live up to that now he's already had the season he's had without fans there. It's going to be very intriguing to see how that wingback fight works out. Lamptey on the other side, if he can just get himself fit, he could still change our entire season on the turn of a whatever like he could just change everything for us if he can come back and be actually fit so for us the wingbacks are going to be key you know i don't think that that's exactly huge news uh you know i think that we've been needing that for a long time uh and it's pretty clear from potter's perspective that the wingbacks are incredibly important um in terms of the losers so players to watch are all good uh, but there is there is another thing going on that we don't talk about at all. Uh, at least I haven't seen it talked about. And that is the centre of midfield war that's going on behind closed doors right now. We have an insane amount of central midfield options currently. We have Jakob Moda, Adam Lalana, Bissouma, Mwepu, maybe even though I've got him as an attacking midfielder, Pascal Gross, Alexis McAllister, Steven Alzate, and Moises Caicedo. Some of these players are going to be very disappointed with their minutes this season. And we have a lot of very young, very talented players in that list. Jakob Moda, Basuma, Alexis McAllister, Alzate, Caicedo. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how some of these players react to not playing when they think they should and how it cultivates competition in the center of the park. Bissouma is the first player on the team sheet next to Lewis Dunk, right? Like he's going to be playing every single game is fit. So if you're playing a three, four, two, one style with two central midfielders and two attacking midfielders, you've already lost one spot from the word go with 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 Basuma playing there. If you wanted to add those attacking prospects in as well, you know, with Trossard, Tao, although he's about to go, and a couple of the others we have, the midfield war becomes even worse. You've got three spots available and you've got Jakob Moda, Adam Lalana, 
Mwepu, Gross, Alexis, Alzate, Saicedo, Trossard. Uh, who else is there? Kadra has shown he's he's obviously got some talent as well. Uh, there's a couple of others. Um, let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. No, can't think of them. Um, they're, they're kind of youth prospects I'm thinking of. Aaron Connolly even. You know, we're going to be having a lot of players that want to play and aren't getting minutes. It's going to be very interesting to see how they adapt with their minutes this season. Um, I just don't think anybody's talked about it a great deal. Um, it's something that should be. Uh, Andone as well. Yep, he's been playing. Uh, he's able to play that kind of the one behind the striker uh, and kind of bounce off of that main striker as well. So, I mean, he did it at Watford with great, great talent uh, at the beginning of two seasons ago before he got shipped out to, to Turkey. And it's going to be interesting to see how that war goes on. I don't think anybody's kind of earmarked it outside of this pod, but it's going to be something that's going to be very interesting to see how Potter manages his people. Transfer targets. Well, well, well. We are at a situation where we are three weeks away from the start of the season uh, and we have yet to sign the elusive striker. Uh, We need one. I'm not accepting any discussion saying we don't. Uh, I am beyond blown away uh, that we actually genuinely have people think that we are fine with what we've got. Uh, We are not. It is very clear to everybody, both statistically and on the eye test, that we do not have a striker capable of scoring enough goals to keep us up comfortably and push us to the next level that we want to go talk about. We want to go to the top 10. We need to sign a striker that can get us to the top 10. And that's not currently part of our team as of right now. So Odson Edouard has been a player that's been bandied around from Celtic. Very young, very talented. Uh, Lots of Celtic fans have been saying that we can have him. Uh, They haven't been impressed with him lately. They feel like he's kind of got lazy uh, and is more interested in getting a move than he is from playing with them. If he can play like he did for them when he was bothered, great signing. But as of right now, Andy Naylor says there's nothing in it. So who knows? Uh, Darwin Nunez once again comes to the forefront. Benfica player. He had no interest in moving to us two years ago from Almeria. He had no interest. He turned us down because he did actively didn't want to play for Brighton over Albion. Why on earth we're going back in for him is beyond me. It just seems like a losing battle. It seems stupid and naive of the Albion to go after him when he didn't want to come in. If he doesn't want to sign for us, don't let him sign for us. Like, if he doesn't want to play for us, don't try and sign him. What a waste of money to sign a player that doesn't want to be here. It goes so much against Albion's ethics and Albion's strategy when signing players. Like, I'm convinced it's agent talk, just pure agent talk. I know that Naylor and others are saying there's something in it, but I am so blown away by the stupidity and naivety of the Albion if they actually are doing that. Like, why would you want to sign a player that actively doesn't want to come to you? Even if we finally get a deal agreed with Benfica, he's going to say no anyway, or we're going to overpay him. And then we're considering a problem where, like, he's now the highest earner on the field and playing like shit, like, because he doesn't want to be here. Like, that's a huge risk that Albion don't take. Like, that's not something we would ever do. Paul Onoachu, my boy, is still scoring goals for Genk. He has a £20 million price tag, 27 years old, still banging in goals for fun. 
He's picked off this, picked up this season where he left off. It's a no-brainer for me, boys. Just sign him. £20 million. And you know he's going to score goals because he's already scoring goals for fun. He scored in the Champions League this year. He scored in the Champions League two days ago. Like, get him in. Uh, you know, it's mind-blowing that we haven't. Nico Gonzalez, we tried to bring him in. He picked Fiorentina over us, understandably. Um, it's tough. We, we, we need a striker. Everybody knows we need one. And we are yet to sign one. So it is what it is. Uh, we need wing backs. Uh, Cucurella does seem to be the man top of the list for the left wing back role. Uh, and I would be very happy with that signing indeed. Uh, right wing back. I still think we need one. Obviously, Livramento was the was the number one target. Didn't come through. Uh, I still think we need to try and go ahead and get one. Um, it's not something that you can just keep going ahead with, you know, Veltman and others hoping to keep it up. Uh, we do have a couple of other options out there. I'm sure there are a bunch of them. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we can get that sorted out. The other one is maybe we just turn around and if we do sign Cucurella, do we maybe just put in Solly March at right wing back? Is that something he would be capable of doing uh, and having best of both worlds and having both play while we wait for Lamptey to come back? I don't know. Gabriel from Benfica. I was trying to remember his name. Gabriel from Benfica is a midfielder we're apparently in for. Uh, we just talked about the centre of midfield war. So I'd be very, very surprised if we go ahead and look to try and sign a central midfielder from Benfica at 27 years old on loan. So I think that's bollocks as well. In terms of other transfer rumours, that's about it. There hasn't really been anything else talked about. Eduard, Nunez, Cucurella. And randomly, this Gabriel Benfica midfielder, which doesn't sound right to me at all. So it's all gone very quiet. We have £50 million in profit uh, from Ben White. We have, uh, you know, a lot of money in the bank from previous deals. Uh, I understand that people are going to get upset because I shouldn't be spending Tony Bloom's money. Uh, but I'm not. I'm, I'm just talking about the fact that we have a lot of money in the bank and... To me, if you're if you're really wanting to become a top ten team, you need to back the club and you need to back the team. Uh, and as of right now, um, that's not something that's quite happened as of yet this summer. So something needs to be done. Whether it will be, we'll never know. Um, hopefully, that's something that you know. Well, well, we'll not never. We'll know at the end of the season, at the end of the month, rather. Jesus Christ, I can't get my words out. So we'll see. Um, for me, you know, we need a striker more than anything else. Uh, we desperately need a freaking striker. So let's see if we can get one over the line. Next up, fantasy Premier League. So let's take a look at some of the the Albion options this year. Um, First one that stands out is Robert Sanchez at only 4.5 million. That is a heck of a price uh, for someone who was one of the best goalkeepers in the entire division last season. Uh, it was obviously only for 2021, uh, but he was absolutely excellent for the team. Um, and to me, I think you're absolutely crazy if you don't have him in your, in your starting group. That's a set and forget for me. Robert Sanchez, bish bash bosh, in you come. Beautiful. Easy peasy. Other options from an Albion perspective, uh, there are a couple of them that stand out, actually, that look really nice. Joel Veltman, still only 4.5. 
He's going to be playing a lot of minutes this season as long as Lamptey is hurt, in my opinion. Tarrant Lamptey, only 4.5. When fit, he could, over the course of the season, if he was to come back in October as a 4.5 million defender, Tarrant Lamptey could end the season as a 5.3 million, maybe even 5.5 million defender. He could be that good if he could get a full season in after October. I think it's an incredibly good piece piece of price to keep an oil watch list when he comes back. The Sumer, 4.5 million. Again, super cheap midfield option that we all know is going to be playing every minute of every game. Uh, he is excellent bench fodder for us. Uh, easy peasy, set and forget again. Uh, Solly March is a frustrating one. He played almost every game at left wing back last year and is considered a midfielder. 5.5 million is a great price for him, but he's going to be playing left wing back again. And to me, I think that's an absolute disgrace. Like, there's no way he should be playing as left wing back, like, as a midfielder in this game. It's a shocking, shocking take. Wepu is only 6.0. If he can produce like we think he might, that is a great piece of business if you were to get him in, uh, if he was to play as we think he will. Neil Mopai, 6.5. Bit too expensive, I think. Uh, Danny Welbeck, 6.0. Way too expensive for a player's injury prone as Danny Welbeck. Uh, and Aaron Connolly, 5.5 million. Again, way overpriced for a player that doesn't score goals. So for me, for the Albion, if you're wanting to get three players in, like you want to cover your Albion fandom in Fantasy Premier League, Robert Sanchez, Joel Veltman, and Basuma for me. Dirt cheap, easy to fill the gaps, easy peasy. You love to see it. Get them in. No doubt. No doubt in my mind. Get them in and you'll be well on your way. I think that there are a couple of options out there other than them that you'll probably have a lot of fun with. Uh, but I really think that that's a really good set of options available to you uh, if you wanted them. You know, I think you've got great options there available. Other players uh, to take a look at in the Fantasy Premier League sphere. Uh, ben White, obviously. 4.5 million, just moved to Arsenal, will almost definitely play. Uh, Tony, who plays for Brentford, 6.5 million. I think that's a really good investment. Pepe, here's a random one. Nicolas Pepe, he finished the season on fire. He started preseason on fire. He's only 7.5 million. Like, he is my dark horse for this season. I really think he's going to do well. So, for me, keep an eye on Nicolas Pepe, because I think he may well be a good signing. Bruno Fernandes, Salah, to me, you have to have both. Uh, Callum Wilson, 7.5 million. Excellent player. Talisman for Newcastle. I think you've got to have him. Luke Shaw for Manchester United. Got to have him too. 5.5 million. I think he is absolute suicide if you don't. In terms of those kind of template players that are owned by just about everybody, uh, there are a couple of players in there. Ivan Tony is one of them. Uh, you've got to have him. If you don't, you're in deep trouble. Uh, same goes for Alexander Arnold. Thirty percent of football football managers in fantasy Premier League have Alexander Arnold. You've got to have him in the league in the division. Uh, Salah and Fernandez both almost fifty percent owned. You've got to you've got to back at least both of those. You've got to to keep yourself in 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 the mix with everybody else. Um, so yeah, fantasy Premier League. Uh, our league is once again open. Uh, I have posted it on Twitter once or twice. I will post it again. Um, you can join the league at any point in time. Uh, you 
It's called the Together BHA Podcast League. Um, we do have uh, a code to join this league that's coming up right now on the little banner thingy-majiggy. Uh, you can go ahead and get that added in if you need to. Uh, GD820F, uh, for those of you not watching the video and instead tuning in to the podcast audio tomorrow, come and join there's prizes for the person who wins. Uh, Ezra Thompson won it last year, won uh, £50 worth of merch from the club shop. Uh, he chose a vintage shirt and a couple of other bits and pieces. So you've got literally nothing to lose. There's no entry fee. Um, and I just gave you a couple of ideas of players you could bring in as well. Uh, and yes, uh, if you are in last year, thank you, Alex. Uh, if you were in last year, you will get automatically added to the league this year as well. It's the exact same league. I haven't made a new one. I've just renewed it. So you'll be able to get added straight in uh, and you'll be able to go ahead and crack on from where you left off. So feel free to get ahead and uh, get added in. Final note uh, before the preview uh, for Burnley. Predictions for the season for, for the Albion. To me, as of right now, we are three weeks away from the end of the transfer window. So everything I'm going to be saying here, you need to treat with a pinch of salt because there is a lot that can change. To me, I don't see any reason to expect things to go greatly different to last year. Um, I expect us to be similar, if not exactly the same. Reason being is we've not made any changes to be any different. Uh, we've lost Ben White and we've re and we've brought in Wepu. Uh, we haven't particularly progressed, but we haven't regressed. Uh, some of the teams around us have progressed greatly. Some of them have not progressed at all. Uh, Burnley, no, like you know, one or two signings that don't look like they're going to do a great deal. Uh, Newcastle, no signings at all. Um, teams around us, uh, Norwich, lots of signings, but not really anyone that stands out. Watford, lots of signings, not anyone that stands out. Brentford, two additions. Um, I don't see any reason to expect us to expect a great deal more than last year. Um, for me, if we can stay up, I'll be delighted. If you today, as of right now, today, offered me 17th place, I'd bite your hand off. Bite your hand off. I don't see any reason to expect us to not be in a relegation scrap this year. And that's just the way it is, right? Like that we haven't spent the money we need to and invested in the squad. Yes, there is a lot to be said for some of these players getting an extra year of growth. And I understand that. Especially the youngsters, Moda, Bissouma, Alexis McAllister, Alzate, Saicedo, Kobovnik, all these players. I get it. But there's nothing to be said about where we're going to improve. And to me, for us, I don't see any difference between now and then. So fingers crossed, uh, we will we'll be talking about a slightly different prediction uh, for, what, three weeks later at the end of August. Uh, fingers crossed we'll be talking about slightly higher ambitions. Uh, but we are just on time uh, because we are here for the Burnley preview um, so we do have the opposition view coming into the chat shortly. Um, so it's going to be interesting because uh, we were just talking about Burnley a little bit earlier uh, in terms of some of the signings they've made or not so much uh, and what we can expect from them. 
this season uh we did uh, and i know dan is listening uh, we did we did have you all uh in terms of the the relegation candidates in and amongst the rest of us with saints norwich brentford watford palace newcastle us and you uh so let's add dan into the stream uh dan from the turf moor house can you hear me okay i can how are you you're all right yeah i'm good how are you i'm okay i'm not too bad uh it's raining. It's dull. It's exactly how you expect Burnley to be. <laughs> you love to hear it. Great. <laughs> um, so we were talking uh, early on in the pod about the the recruitment of teams around us, the movers and shakers, and how it affects us. Some of the big ones, Buendia leaving Norwich, obviously is a huge blow to them. Danny Ings just leaving <laughs> for out of nowhere. Uh, I don't Villa. know where that one came from. That was just so out of the blue. Surprised everybody, didn't it? Yeah. Um, In terms of the Burnley stuff, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of marquee signings uh, in terms of Burnley. What's your, what are your thoughts so far on on the Burnley window and and what it looks like? I think as a Burnley fan, you just become sort of accustomed to the fact that every window is a shocking window. Um, It's, I mean, last season said it all for me. We signed a third choice goalkeeper that was last season, the season before last on loan at Ipswich. And, We've seen him play and his positioning's awful. Uh, we signed, obviously, Dale Stevens from you guys who we wanted four years ago. And, you know, we know all the transfer thing that happened with that. He wanted to leave because we were after him. And then at the end of the season, he comes out and he's like, saying Burnley's a, you know, all sorts of stuff. And yep. and now it's, it's just, yeah, he, he's not the player he was. He's definitely not. Um, we don't really rate him. When he comes on, I think you can hear the groan from the fans. It's loud enough as a collective. But yeah, um, I mean, we spent 12 million on one player, which is, you know, 11.25 more than what we spent last season. Um, obviously, Hennessy on a free. I mean, it's a it's good solid backup, especially we're sending Peacock Farrell out on loan to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, but we need something else. If 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 James Tarkowski's to go before the end of the end of the window, you've only got Collins. Who do you then have as a backup from the bench apart from Kevin Long, who's been here too long, in my opinion? Um, we've got one right winger at the moment. You know, we we named Aaron Lennon as a trialist the other day, uh, other week, sorry, and then. You know, I know he played for us before, before going off to Turkey, but apparently Dash didn't want him to leave, which to me sounds like he wants him to resign, which, okay, it's another body in the camp. Don't get me wrong, it's another body in the camp, so I can't grumble at that, and it's not cost the club anything. But for a new chairman and everybody to come in and say, Sean Dash will be backed, he'll be given what he wants. I don't see much delivery, in my opinion. Yeah, it seems that way just from the outside looking in as well. In terms of last year, uh, I don't know what you all your thoughts were. You know what what were what were Burnley expecting going into the the twenty twenty one season? Obviously, it was a really weird one. Everything behind closed doors. Uh, everything was just totally. It was almost like a fever dream for the majority <laughs> of it because uh, it was just it was so strange. But again, there wasn't a huge amount of movement in the window, but. That was kind of likewise for everybody. No one really did anything. Uh, and you ended up finishing over 10 points clear of the relegation zone, albeit still in 17th, two points behind us. Uh, so, you know, we weren't much better. Um, what was what was your 
your hope for last season? What were your thoughts on it in terms of what you saw there? I mean, going into the season, we were plagued with injuries. We had Ashley Barnes out. Chris Wood had a couple of niggles here and there. Uh, our two centre-backs weren't 100%. So we started the season with like Jimmy Dunn, Kevin Long at the back. And when you're a team that's pretty much built on a solid defensive unit, like Ben, me and James Tarkowski, it, it just it crumbled. And to have two points after seven games was appalling. Um, not that I'm expecting you know, us to take three points off everybody, but um, we expected a bit better than that. Um, I, I don't know. A lot of fans looking at it from outside think, does Dash bring a lot of the youth players onto the bench to prove a point? As they're like, look at how threadbare we are. Um, but it, it, I don't know. I mean, this summer he could have changed that and at the moment it's not looking that way. But yeah, last season, I honestly thought we were gone. Last season, it got to about probably coming up towards the start of December and I thought, here we go. This this is the season that we, we go, unfortunately. Um, and then towards the back end of the season, we get, you know we had a bit of a run. We went a bit further up the table and we're like, oh, brilliant. That's it. We're getting out of this now. As we do every season, we sort of just have a just pull a run out from somewhere, um, which is always nice. You know, everybody says the same thing. Sean, Sean Dash is that sort of manager that he'll always pull you out of somewhere, no matter what. Um, but on the flip side of that, the results against Newcastle and Southampton back to back were appalling. Um, after that, where the 4 0 against Wolves came, I don't know where that result came. I mean, it was much needed. Because, you know, you go 2-0 up at St Mary's against Southampton and still lose the game 3-2. You go 1-0 up against Newcastle on your own ground. They bring St Maximan on and he just changed the game. Uh, they ended up winning 2-1. So two games that you've took a lead in and you've thrown away. I thought, hold on a minute, we're not out of this. And, and I started to, to all of a yeah. sudden starting to go on a run, which was terrifying for me as well. They all of a sudden started picking up wins. In it, were, it was scary. It absolutely <laughs> scary. And as soon as they started, you know, you started seeing the fact of they were winning and you're checking and you're like, oh, it's 18 and a half minute. And, they, you know, that I think that was Fulham's downfall in the end. Obviously, they conceded a lot of late goals, um, which didn't help. You know, you could see the look on Scott Parker's face at times. Like, oh, really? But... Um, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad it wasn't us. Uh, I'm. I'm bet you were glad it wasn't you guys either. Absolutely. Um, especially after the football, you know, that you get lauded for playing under Graham Potter. It's you know you get you sort of expect better of position wise, but yeah, for us, I honestly thought it was the season we were gone, and to get that win over Fulham and the four 0 win over Wolves. I think after that, the games against Liverpool, Leeds, and Sheffield United, which we lost, which then took us, you know, to seventeenth. You know, it's one of those. You've you've done the penultimate. You've stayed up. Yep. You know, Ed's on the beach. So yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, so this year, like you said, you haven't done a great deal in the market. Um, still three weeks to go. Like I was saying earlier, for us, uh, we've obviously got the Ben White money, which we're hoping is going to be spent. Um, which Burnley haven't had any big sales like that lately, but I'm sure you're still hoping for some more investment. I'm still waiting for us to spend the 30 million from Michael Keane, to be honest with you. <laughs> Goodness. Um, there should be some nice interest on it, at least you think. Yeah, Brown definitely. Hanging around. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts for this year? You know, what are your hopes, dreams and worries for, for Burnley this season? I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're still three weeks away from the end of the window, but what are your thoughts on, on this year's prospects for, 
for the team. I, I was sort almost sort of positive. Um, but then I sort of tried to break it down over the last couple of days and thought, we've had the same squad, you know, season in, season out now. I mean, I think we've only just got rid of Jimmy McElroy. That's how old our squad is. You know, we're talking about years. It's, it, you know, there's fans out there that are still expecting us to reach, you know, when we, we did that inevitable, we not inevitable, sorry, imaginary sort of thick season where you just were like, what? We finished in Europe? How? Um, and there's a lot of fans out there that still think, well, that's the same squad. Why can't we keep doing that? I mean, we just, at that time, we were punching above our weight. You've not seen Leicester win the league consecutively after it either. So, you know, it's just one of them things that happens. It, we just got lucky. But this season, I'm, I don't know whether to be, yeah, I'm confident or whether I'm not. I'm sort of just sat riding the wave of, I, I'm taking that Sean Dash mantra of each game as it comes. <laughs> I mean, I guess you've got it right. Like for for us and you and a couple of the other teams that we've talked about on earlier on, like a lot of us just haven't moved forward a great deal. We've just kind of stayed static and the pandemic was a huge thing for us, especially like we invested a lot of money under Chris Hutton and then Potter comes in, totally changes the the entire ethos of the team. And most of those players were then not Graham Potter players. So the 150 yeah. odd million that we spunked on Hutton players now was wasted essentially. Um, and we've had to sell them for peanuts and we're now being bit arsy, bit bitten on the arse for it really. Um, and, you know, from, from your perspective, you know, Newcastle aren't really moving forward. Norwich have made a couple of signings, but none of them, other than maybe Billy Gilmore, doesn't really stand out or anything like that. Uh, all the teams that have got promoted haven't really moved forward a great deal. Um, in terms of that bottom three, early days, of course, uh, Do you who do you want to kind of predict as lock-ins? Who do you think are, are going to be that kind of relegation candidates? See, originally I said Brentford would be down there, but I looked into a bit of Brentford and thought that they do a lot of sports science. They sort of analyse games and things like that. I only looked at it on the principle of if Ivan Tony hits the ground running, who's to say that January comes, he's snapped up, you know, he's been wanted for a, a while now. So who's to say nobody goes and snaps him up in January if he hits the ground running in the Premier League? Brentford are screwed. Yep. So I'd put them in and around there if that happens. Um, but that's all if buts and maybes. I think a dead cert for me would be Watford because, well, they changed, they changed their manager too many times in a season. I mean, you could change a manager once and it would be more than Sean Dash changes his formation in the seasons. But, it, you know, <laughs> they do change it. I mean, Watford changing managers is like a transfer window for them. We how many come in and go out? It's ridiculous. It it's mental. I've I've just never seen a team like it. It is. It's 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 heartbreaking for the fans, really, especially when they start bringing back old names that have already been there. Yeah. You, you're sort of like, right, it didn't work the first time. But but then we say that. Look at West Ham. They got look. Uh, they didn't want David Moyes coming back a second time. And look at, look at what happened gold. there. Yeah, he has struck gold of them. Uh, Brentford are kind of a funny one because I think I agree 100% on what you said I think the entire season rides on Ivan Tony almost and yeah, funnily enough I think that he needs to just do okay I think that if he does bad they're screwed I think if he does really well 
for the exact reason you said they're screwed. I think he needs to have like a 10, 12 goal season, do enough to keep them up, but not, but kind of fly under the radar from those bigger teams. And I think that's a real big ask because I think he, I think he is either going to flop or be an absolute beast. I don't think he is going to do that. I think he's going to do no. one or the other. Oh, massively, massively. He has got the skill set to do that as well, though. I mean, he's what twenty six, twenty seven, something like that. So he's still got a good couple of years in him. That even just one season in the Premier League could could do him wonders. Um, as long as he, I mean, for an outside looking in, I hope he does sort of a bit like an Amiyazaki with Wigan or a, a Michu with Swansea has just one good season and then just drops off the face of the earth. But yeah. Whatever you know, happened to Michu, man. He's been <laughs> a hell of a player for a while there. Fantasy Premier League dream. <laughs> he so was a classic player. The opening game was quite a surprise. I feel like we haven't had an opening game around Burnley for a long time. I think the last one was where we, we played you all in the championship like 10 years ago. Beat you 3-1 and then we got relegated. <laughs> so hopefully that's not... Uh, that I, uh, yeah, I know. Um in terms of the game itself, you know, what what do you make of Brighton from the outside looking in? What do you expect to see this early on? I mean, preseason has been a strange one again. We haven't had a huge amount of big preseason build up. All these international tournaments and stuff aren't going on. Like all this stuff is kind of just very much in a bubble, right? Like we played Luton uh, Rangers and then we had Getafe, massive uh, team come and join us at the Amex this Saturday. And, you know, I think you played Cadiz and a couple of others. Uh, no, we, we we did play Cadiz. We played Cadiz on Saturday and got beat 2-0. Yep. We played, played them yesterday. We got beat 2-0 as well. Um, it's going to be, I honestly feel like the first couple of games are going to be almost like a bridge between preseason and the actual Premier League because of how short the preseason has been. What are you What are you hoping to see from this Burnley side? What do you make of the Albion in general uh, from the outside looking in? You know, what do you what do you think you're going to see on Saturday? I think you're going to see two teams that love to battle it out. Whether it's a first game of the season or not, I think you just want to hit the ground running. Fans are back. You know, away fans can travel. You know, so we saw last season a lot more away teams were winning games uh, than they were at home. So I, I do sometimes keep thinking of that. But I also said last season that the reason we probably lost a lot of games at home is because we didn't have fans. You know, we're a sort of club that you fancy a 12th man. And once you're, you know, we don't sit like boo them when we're 1-0 down or anything. We try to rally them up and say, look, lift your heads up, lads. You know, there's, there's still plenty of the game to go, uh, which is which is really good. And I enjoy that because sometimes you can just get fans that get on your back. I do expect a very, very close encounter. Um, it, it, I think it's going to be end-to-end. I think it's, it's going to be quite open. Uh, probably the first 10, 15 minutes is going to be, you know, players finding the feet, getting a feel for the game. The physicality is going to come in and second half. It's probably going to be cramped up players. And I don't see it being a goal fest either. Just, it wouldn't surprise me if it's one of those opening day drab nil-nils, but... <laughs> it's the opening day you know it's get the first one out the way you move on to the next one don't you but yeah i I think when you look at it for in perspective of the teams that you play in i think you'd look at it the same as us that that's a team that we could potentially be around you know come 
late February, early April and stuff. And so, yeah, getting points off these teams is vital. So, yeah, obviously a, a point a point shared on the opening day is not too bad. But, I mean, nobody wants to start with a loss, put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I always think, uh, I always think for the teams that I think are going to be around us, I always earmark three points at home, one point away is optimal. Yeah. Take a draw yeah. away from home, beat them at your place, and you're putting some nice point gaps amongst you and the, the teams around you. Um, Massively. Am I right in thinking Chris Wood is not available? He is. He is, he available. is available. He is. He started against Cadiz on Saturday, uh, yesterday. Um, he also, um, yeah, he, he came back. I think he trained he trained on the Thursday. Um, did a bit of media stuff Thursday afternoon or fr- early Friday. And then Saturday started the game. So... So you should would expect be in. him to be leading the line. I'd expect him so, yeah. yeah. I'd expect him and uh, him and Vidra again, probably, but who knows? <laughs> I've been screaming out for Burnley to sign a pacey forward for years now. Um since the likes of, you know, Andre Gray, Danny Ings. You know, these players had a bit of pace with them. You know, we always had someone with pace and a big lanky streak of piss that nods it onto you. You know, the like classic, we've had the Sam. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, you had it with crouching before. It worked. It worked at Spurs. It worked at, at Portsmouth. So we had it with Vaux and Ings. Then we had it with Vaux and Gray. Uh, even Vaux and Charlie Austin, you know, worked for a while as well. Um, but yeah, we, we've not got anyone really with bags of pace that can just knock a ball forward, turn a man act on instinct and usually if we do have a player that acts on instinct it's usually into crowd anyway (laughs) (laughs) excellent uh last thing i guess then is uh first of all uh result prediction i know you said maybe a drab nil nil is that what you're going to go with i'm going to go for one one i know i I know i said it's not going to be a goal fest but i'm not going to say a drab nil nil i'll say a hard for one one I, i i would take it uh, and I'm inclined to agree. I think that we are going to draw. I think it's going to be quite a scrappy game. Um, yeah. In terms of the last thing I'd want to touch on is the changes to VAR uh, and the added subjectivity that we're going to be seeing in the season ahead. Uh, marginal offsides are now going to be subjective uh, in terms of what does and doesn't count. Um, and penalties are also going to become less harsh is what they said the wording was. How do you feel about the changes in VAR um, and what that looks like for teams like us. Too many changes every single season, not just to VAR, but even just to the rules of football. What happened to, what was wrong with football? You know, they say, don't change anything. Don't, don't change. Don't fix something if it isn't broken. And they've just tried to implement stuff and it's done nothing but ruin the game for fans. You know, uh, my uncle uh, was a big, well, he's a massive Sheffield Wednesday f- uh, fan uh, who lives down in Cornwall now. But he's, you know, he's lost the love of the game and, and not just due to the fact they got relegated, may I add. He, <laughs> lo- he, lost, it, he lost it before that. Um, he does check for their scores and things like that. But his passion for football is gone. Um, he loves nothing more than going to watch Penzance football team play which, you know, it's proper Sunday league stuff. Everyone just getting stuck in. They 
yeah. going home, still sitting in the cars, caked in mud and stuff like that. And, you know, that's what he misses, that old old sort of style of play, which is great. I'd love that. Um, sometimes you watch clips of, you know, players like Vinnie Jones and people getting booted here and there, left, right and centre. And now you can't even... You can't even basically say hi to somebody because if you put your hand up, that's it, you're booked. It, it's ridiculous. Um, the only positive I have for VAR, as you say, is the fact that all this marginal stuff will stop. This, if you're flaming, if you're flaming willy twitches or your toes literally a little <laughs> bit, you know, a little bit flaming hanging to the side or whatever. It, you know, if you don't cut your toenails, you're knackered. That's it. it it's not fair. Um, you know, the same with handball, it can touch it can touch the top of here, but it can't touch any further. It's still it's still technically handball. What are you playing at? Um too many changes, too many rule changes, and it's the referees that get it. The referees that get it in the neck. And I don't think it should be the referees that get it in the neck when it's the referees that are now basically being told you're too incompetent to do your job. Let's look at it on a screen. But Nobody had any problems with human error before. You'd meet the opposition in, in, you know, in the pub afterwards or the cricket club down near our stadium. You'd have a chinwag about it. Oh, your referee were on your side, weren't it? But and stuff like that. And that was it. And it'd be gone. Now yeah. it's all. Oh, we had to wait six minutes just because he thought this goal weren't that and that were that and and that's what we're spending most of our time talking about on match of the day now and things like that. It's all yeah. about VAR controversy here and VAR ruins the game. Or It's it, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I'm all for stripping it back, um, taking it back to referees. Um, do have the monitor there. Don't get me wrong. Do have VAR, but don't use it to the context that it's being used. Just use it that if a referee is a little bit in doubt of a decision, he can just go over to the screen and go, I thought it were. Right, I'll give it. Yeah, you know that way you're not you're cutting all this crap out. If he thinks it's a goal, give it right, and he's give it fine, done. But um, the only other thing is probably introduce marking the referees up, mark the referees up like they're doing rugby, because yeah. at least then okay, if you're on the game, you're not going to hear it. But if you're watching it on TV or you know watching it back, and they can listen into what the referee's saying, we know that teams aren't just being you know bullshitted because he favours that side over that side or Landsman's got a bet on opposition winning. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think it's ridiculous. I have a bit of a, like I have a bit of concern with the, with the new rules based around the subjectivity introduction. They are yeah. no longer going to be showing. We can't see on TV what they're looking at anymore. They're taking that, that that's, away. That's the thing though. They didn't, they didn't show us much anyway. They said when this came in, we will see the decision. Fans right. will see that decision. All we've seen is VAR is checking. At Not offside. That's it, yeah. That's all we're getting. We're not getting a visual of it. We're not getting it shown on the big screen. We're just getting some little fancy flaming image that someone's done on paint. Why, right. why, why, would, I, <laughs> you know, why would I be interested in that? So I know off of the t- off of the stadiums you would get them on TV. So like over here, like if yeah. you're watching them on NBC, you get to see what they're seeing. And they're taking that away now too. And to me... Like that, I will be very interested to see how much the big teams benefit from this introduction of subjectivity. Last season, there was, there was really nothing. Like, I think Arsenal were actually the biggest losers of it, and they only lost like five points on average. I would be interested to see 
it's concerning to me. I think that it's just an added level of uh, zero transparency. Like you said, yeah. mic, mic up the referees, like explain the decision. Like we shouldn't be getting less transparent because you know that this system isn't great. Like we shouldn't be going yeah. the other way and be like, well, if you don't like it, then we'll just not tell you anything. <laughs> just make the decisions in the background. Like what? That's yeah, not, exactly. That's I mean, people want. have said independent adjudicators at Stockley Park instead of referees mates, you know, because no one wants to say, well, I thought that were a foul or go against what the mate was saying. You know, if, if they're two referees that know each other quite well and they're just like, yeah, yeah, just give what you want, mate. Just give what you feels right. That that doesn't help the cause. You're there to do your job. If you think that that's that, or you can see it on the screen, and you've got the rules in front of you saying right, that's dangerous play, or that's yeah. definitely a handball, then explain that. You know, I'd rather I'd rather a mate tell me the truth if he if he saw my partner out with somebody else. If he was on a night out and he saw my partner cheating on me with somebody else, I'd expect him to tell me the truth, not not come to me and say. Oh, I saw your missus out the other night. And that's and it. Nothing else. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Just yeah. tell it as it is. Tell it as it is. And just, yeah, it just annoys me. It really annoys me. I think I'd even be, I'd even be partial to sticking referee, young up and coming referees that are still learning the trade. Stick them at Stockley Park instead. Yeah. Because they're going to learn the, the backstory of how it works in the Premier League. They're not just going to be looking at Sunday League level. They're going to get more of an understanding of what's to come future in their career. Okay, they may it may be looked at as no, because they'll be prone to errors. But if they if they're watching on a screen, as they do as fans, they know what's a foul and what's not a foul. Yep. It's pretty obvious. I mean a fan can tell you what's a foul and what's not. Sometimes we do when we're in the stadium, say, oh, it's a foul to us, even though it's a foul to opposition. It, you, you just do it. Yeah. It's just fan perspective. But, oh, panto, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. Um, so, yeah, so, something's got to be done. It's. I, I think part of me thinks this Super League stuff was put to the, put to the Premier League sides as sort of like a distraction from VAR. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there's sort of an element to that where it sort of takes away the element of people are just talking about VAR this and VAR that. Let's give them something else to talk about to take their, you know, turn a blind eye. We can do all these changes here while everyone's going, you're not leaving this league, blah, blah, blah. But conspiracies, <laughs> we're all we're all conspiracy theorists when we want to be. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? I was, just, I was literally just saying like an hour ago on this stream that it's very interesting that the teams that begged, borrowed and stealed and, and you know, admitted that they had no money and they were desperate and this was to stay alive, like they needed the European Super League to be viable. Ben White for 50 million, Grealish for 100 million, Sancho for 75 million, Chelsea are bagging Lukaku for 100 million in a couple of days. Okay, that's, where'd you yeah. find that money then? Three weeks, yeah, three where, months ago. Where you did were, you, where did financial fair play go? Yeah, three months ago, you're on the precipice of like, disaster and you had to get it to the super league three months later you're spending like 350 million pound between you and being like yeah there might be more to come okay I'd yeah it, it sometimes question you know were they bribed by the premier league to stay is that where this money's come from 
Who knows? Don't sue me. Premier League. <laughs> Anybody from the Premier League listening, don't sue me. I am just a conspiracy <laughs> theorist. I am just a fan. Last thing. Uh, two questions. Uh, who is your player to watch this season for Burnley and where do you think you'll finish? Ooh, interesting. Uh, player to watch this season. I can't rule out Dwight McNeil. Absolutely cracking little player uh, on his day. He's probably the only player we have with a sort of, uh, with flair, the technical ability to get down the uh, the byline and whip a decent ball in. You know, we used to have that in abundance. We always used to love having decent wingers and now we're playing centre mids as right wingers and it's it's ridiculous. It really is. So I would, I'd be torn between uh, Dwight McNeil and if we do if Tarky does go uh, if James Tarkowski does leave Nathan Collins is going to be a good shout because no matter what defender you put alongside Ben Mee they will turn world class he's done it with Tarkowski he's done it with um, Michael Keane you know he's turned them both into England internationals being alongside him I think he's a bit of an unsung hero is Ben Mee um, and probably a brilliant mentor to have at the side of you. So yeah, Nathan Collins or Dwight McNeil, but Dwight McNeil gets more game time. So I'm going to have to go with him in terms of position wise. I always say that a solid 13th position would be fantastic. Brilliant. Um, you know, you could still be in and around it points wise, who knows, but 13th, I think it's a decent benchmark, uh, a solid benchmark, but I'll be happy between with 13th, 14th, 15th, um, although Sean Dash will probably say anything above 17th and we'll be happy well, <laughs> here we go again yeah I can feel that uh, brilliant Dan thank you so much for coming on uh, and taking some time out of your Sunday afternoon for this uh, hey, not a problem we will uh, we'll see how it goes next week best of luck for the rest of the season uh, hopefully not too much luck next week but other than that <laughs> uh, I hope you do great and yeah have a good one mate thank you No, cheers thanks for having me on Thanks, everybody. All right. And that is just about everything uh, from our perspective here. So I am going to uh, head out and the broadcast. Uh, and this podcast will be up tomorrow uh, on Spotify, uh, all that good stuff as well. I'm going to get to editing uh, and push that through. Uh, and, and we'll go from there as well. So we will see you all next week for the first match review of the season. Burnley away uh, and be safe. <laughs>